Sessions Together. Your host, Brett Henderson, and his guest, David Stepanek. David is with Bristow Group, which focuses on aviation. He's a senior executive. David has extensive experience acquiring, starting, and managing businesses worldwide, as well as leading a large multinational organization. So, Brett, enough of me. Get David in here and have him tell you more. Yeah, this is great. So I think this is our first time with a true active executive who's still in the trenches day in, day out and fighting the fight. And still a mildly, mildly worse adverb ever. Actually, it's a great adverb. I just didn't use it <laughs> properly there. But newer to the role at Bristol Group with your current current position, which we're going to talk about. But before we do, why don't you just take a couple minutes, kind of go through just the timeline. We don't need the play-by-play which is like when you're in the Marines, when, when you got out and you're a Sikorsky for 20 years, just kind of walk us through that just so we have an idea kind of where you are now and where you came from, if you don't mind. And welcome, by the way. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I really appreciate the invitation to to do this. I think giving back uh, on lessons learned is, is one of the, the primary roles when you get to the certain age group that, that I'm in right now and, and, and either being able to mentor or offer advice that, that, is, that has helped me and some of the things that I may have done that you probably shouldn't do. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we all got those lists. <laughs> the first thing that I did right, uh, not necessarily the first thing I did right, was join the Marine Corps. And, and I joined the Marine Corps out of high school, four years. It seems like it was just yesterday, but it's been almost 40 years now. I got out in 1987. Got out in 87. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, 20 years at Sikorsky Aircraft. So that got me to about 2007. And at Sikorsky, I had a variety of different roles, most notably as a sales executive. So I got to travel the world, meet a lot of interesting people and see how they ran their business. I sold to some very wealthy individuals and corporations that, and some people that I really admired. And, and I, got, I got to develop a, a really understanding of, of how they became who they were and how they ran their company. So that was very helpful. Post uh, Sikorsky, I got into helicopter operations, which was my core back in the, in the Marine Corps. I was in a helicopter squadron in HMH-461. I was an avionics technician there. So I got a, a good technical background as well. Awesome. So working in, in operations, I uh, worked with work for a company called Era Helicopters and set up an international leasing business for them and and, and was the chief marketing officer and in and, and charge of the, the top line. Did that for a few years and then went to another large, very famous oil and gas helicopter operators called Petroleum Helicopters Incorporated, one of the companies that really founded the industry back in the 40s. And I progressed through there as their uh, chief commercial officer and then the president of, of the company. And in, in 2019, I elected to make some decisions to do a little bit more mergers and acquisitions, more growth opportunities. And I came over to the Bristow Group, who was in the process of acquiring Era Group, or Era Group is acquiring Bristow, actually. Uh, and we merged two companies, which I was the chief operating officer of. So I managed the integration of a $1.5 billion merger, along with the counterparty on the other side uh, of it. And I was the chief operating officer. So 3,000 employees, 15 countries. When we merged the company, we had about 270 helicopters that were operating around the world and mostly the oil fields. We also have an airline in Australia, and it's really exciting opportunity to, to be able to lead. I, I kind of equated it back to the Marine Corps as being the wing commander, okay. um, which was really kind of special since I was a corporal when I got out of the Marine Corps. And there I was you able go. To, to go for it. That role. So doing mergers and acquisitions, creating contracts and, and businesses with large oil companies starting greenfield businesses in Africa and the Caribbean and the Middle East and Europe really, really gave me a, a great depth of understanding of how international business works, how working 
with multinational, multicultural employees and workers and all the things that go with it has just been really an exciting time. And then with that's come a, a tremendous amount of, of, of travel and seeing the world all over every continent. When I was at PHI, we had the contract with the National Science Foundation in Antarctica. So I was wow. able to get, get, you know, really some interesting, interesting viewpoints of the world. That's, uh, that's quite, that's quite the, the background. And I'm sitting here processing what you're sharing with me. And I'm like, which question, which question? Because I have so many questions now. So you've had your career. Have you ever, looking back at it now, have you sat there and said, okay, this is, this is where I thought I was going to be. If you look 10, 5, 10, 15 years back, is the seat you're in today when you ever envisioned yourself being in? Or when did you have clarity when you felt, hey, I'm doing this role, maybe in the mid 2010s or so, and you saw the evolution coming. Where was it like, I've, I've done the corporate gig enough. Let's look at a challenge with M&A, see if I can do that with my experience. Can, can you just walk me through your thought process and, and as, you, as you had your experience grow? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to say I had this grand plan, but w- what I did was I just tried to make myself present and in what I was doing, whatever that role was. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I was an avionics technician for Sikorsky. I just wanted to be the best avionics technician I could be. And then watch the people that were above me and what they were doing and see if that was something that would be interesting. And it all, I guess it goes back to the Marine Corps. And I was, I can remember being in the hangar in, in New River Air Station and seeing these civilians walking in, you know, in a suit, a jacket, and you know, they don't have, they don't have any, any grease under their fingernails. And, and I finally said, what are these, who are these guys? Well, they represent the manufacturers or the, they're the representative of the company. I said, that would be a really cool, cool gig. And I got to work with Sikorsky while I was in the Marine Corps doing a modification. They got to know who I was. We were modifying a rotor head. And at the time I was about to get out, I was enrolled to go back to the university or go to university and go back to Delaware where I grew up. And Sikorsky approached me for an opportunity to say, hey, listen, we really like the work that you did. We have an opportunity for this role supporting Nav Air in a contract at a Naval Air Station. Would you be interested? And I was, I, I took the job and then I, all I wanted to be was that, that rep. Cause I thought that was the coolest thing. I get to travel the world. I get to solve problems, help technical solutions. And I did see a path to be, maybe being the leader of that organization. There was right. a big worldwide organization and you know, th- those kind of things evolved. And then as you were being more exposed to the upper executives of, of a corporate company like Sikorsky aircraft, and they see that you're doing things that were maybe a little bit different. And I think it comes back to stuff that you learned as a, in the in the military. And I go, I'm going to jump around a bit. But one of the things I, I remember Please. being really stark for me when I got out of the Marine Corps was when I had people that were under my supervision and I asked them to do something, they didn't necessarily do it. <laughs> and it was just mind boggling. to Right. Me. I mean, what, what do you mean? You didn't, you didn't, I told you, you, you know, this was an order I gave you. And, and that's what I was thinking. That's an order I gave you. You do it. And in the Marine Corps, of course, it happened. You get right. order, order is executed. There was no, no debate. So I had, I, I had to learn a new way of thinking and a new way of communicating and understanding if I wanted to get things done. It wasn't just, I, I said you to do this, you do this. So I, I had to like broach that. But the other thing I learned was if you do what you're supposed to do in the civilian world, you're a rock star. Right. Right. You're a rock star. If you're just doing what you, you show up for work, you do your job description. You maybe go a little bit over over the edge and show some enthusiasm, intelligence and courage. 
then you're a rock star and you just start to elevate. So, so all these things started to occur where I got exposed to more and more of, of the business world, more and more of the corporate world. And I was granted more responsibilities. I, I never set out to be a helicopter salesman. I didn't know they existed. And one day I had an opportunity. I was asking some questions about how the commercial processes worked. And they said, well, you know, we have an opening to sell commercial helicopters. Would you be interested in that? So I jumped on it. And then that exposed me to more of the corporate world, more of the technical world. And it just evolved. And then you just had to use the things that you learned in, in, in the military, specifically in the Marine Corps, about adapting and being creative and creating opportunities. And I remember when I was setting up a first plan to do, a, to do this, this program that I was keen on, and I really related it back to the battle planning in the Marine Corps, situation, mission, execution, command and control, administrative and logistics. And it's all of a sudden it just hit me. It's like, gosh, the Marines and the military in general was just the greatest business school and leadership school, period. And just taking that and applying it and changing your language a bit, changing how you communicate. You know, you can't talk like you're a Marine to civilians. You can't no. talk like you're an army sergeant to civilians. You have to, but, but the message, the, the, the outcomes you want are the same. You just have to figure out how to communicate it and present yourself. And for people to look upon you as, as a leader and as a person of, 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 of authority and somebody that they want to hopefully be like. Simulate. I think you you hit a very important point, which I have seen as well, especially in business and even with interns, which you just said, which seems to escape many today. If you get a job, kick ass at that job. That's right. Do that job well to the best of your ability and just do that. Yeah. And what I see, and tell me if you agree or not, I see people do whatever they can to get a job. And the second they get that job, they're already trying to, how do I go to the next, the next, the next, the next, the next. And they're not even executing well at that job. And I think because of that, and because the economy has kind of created that environment today where the culture, especially if you're a young millennial, if you're in a job for more than six months to a year, something's wrong with you. You're missing the next next hop to get more money. Mm-hmm. Whether you deserve it or not, the need is there. So it's kind of an artificial environment or artificially created reward system that isn't based upon your performance or skill set. It's just based upon the need. If someone else is desperate, they have money, they'll, they'll throw money at a problem and you're, you're a problem solver and you get to benefit from that because you, you don't even have the skill set. Your speech then again, or, or your point of being present and doing well in that job reminds me I had an intern when I was at, was I at Merrill? I was, you know, I was at UBS. And exchange student, or he was from France, and he came over, and he was an intern, and he wanted to run all these quantitative investment models, and he wanted to do this big algorithm and big make this big investment matrix program. I'm like, okay, can you just help me organize these files first alphabetically? <laughs> just help me with that, okay? Yeah. And the kid's like, oh, this is beneath me, and I'm so smart, and I this and that, that, that. I'm like, great, just just help me out with this, please. Yeah. And the dude couldn't even file alphabet he couldn't I'm like do you know the, how the alphabet works dude like d <laughs> is not after k like you gotta like you want to do all these things just do this do this well and i agree you do this I agree well and you completely. master it sorry no i agree completely with you with what you're saying and on the other side of that i've also witnessed quite a few people that work very hard not to work tell me more about that yeah i mean you, you see people that are just they'll just try their way to 
uh, oh, I know, I know my assignment is this, but I'm going to go, you know, do something else, or I'm not going to pay attention to them or wonder why things don't go well for themselves or their career or their career halts. And they're just trying their way to get, get around, you know, don't get assigned projects, don't volunteer for things, don't accept responsibilities or don't accept other opportunities that are presented to you. And I think being able to say, I mean, I have, I have some, I have quite a few children. I have seven children, three boys, four girls. And as I was progressing along in my career and, the, and my, my sons are all in, in out of college now and in their careers, they asked me like, what was the secret? What's the plan? How did you, how did you go about this? And I said, I just said, yes. I said, yes, I put myself present. I, I say, I said, I'm, I'm interested in doing that. Or I went to somebody's like, I know we got to, somebody has got to go to the Japan and live for two years. I'll do that. Or I'll go do this. And you know, you're building all these skill sets, but you're also building a network and relationships and you're, you're demonstrating to whether it's your own business or whether it's customer or whether it's your boss that you're reliable and you can, they can depend on, on you to get the job done. And then you become the easy button. And that, that allows you to grow on through your processes. I never in my life anticipated I would be a executive vice president of a large public company and be, you know, on the named executive officers and be exposed to what I have never in my life had it. But over a period of time, I started to see that path and I didn't have a three-year plan or a five-year plan. I just, when I saw what I thought was an opportunity, I jumped on it and I took risks and that gets back to the, the, the things you learn in the Marine Corps, things you learn in the military, be decisive, be courageous, be enthusiastic, and most important, have integrity. And if you yeah, can get through all those things, then you can be successful in anything. I, I completely you, agree. And if you're polishing your belt for, for IG inspection, be the best belt polisher. You know, yeah, of course, nobody wants to do it. It's beneath you. But it's this, it's that building blocks that, you know, that you, you set the foundation and then you can build from from there. And I think when you add the element of being present, which is hard to do, and that's let's throw your sales hat on because a lot of entrepreneurs they have a they're a master technician and they want to turn that skill set they have as a technician into a business. Mm-hmm. And biggest thing is revenue, right? Any business needs revenue, and Correct. you sold helicopters for a while. Mm-hmm. And so I think a huge challenge out there for the technician who may have an answer or see or already think they know the problem that you have is actually being present in that conversation and listening with the intent to truly understand versus listening with the intent to respond. Like, so if you're an oil company, you need some new helicopters to go visit your platforms and do whatever sort of work that you guys do. Okay. I think, and I, and I offer those helicopters and you need them. And I think that, you know, what the ones you need, but I'm not asking the questions that would prompt you to give me the information I need to make sure that I'm providing the best solution. I'm as a newer sales rep, I have a canned list of questions I'm supposed to ask you that management gave me. And you're just giving me your answer. I throw it down and I'm just throwing the next question at you. I'm not being present. So talk about just how important it is and how hard it is to actually be truly present in a conversation. It, well, you have to do it with intention. One of my mentors, who's, who was the chairman of a company, used to call it basically take 95% and give a nickel. When he, what he meant was listen 95% of the time, listen intently, and then give back a little bit because you're and in sales, you're there, you, whether you're selling a helicopter or toilet paper or wherever you happen to be selling, you're trying to solve a, somebody's problem. That problem might be they need to get from point A to point B, and there's a geographic 
just, you know, problem in the place or you have a small landing area, so you need a helicopter to get there. Or that problem might be, you know, you need to get from Los Angeles to, to London and there you're, you're selling, so you're selling a jet, but you're solving a problem. So you need to understand and listen intently on what the problem is and then find that solution f- for them or work with them on that s- solution. And there's another another executive that really, I, I, w- I always wondered if he did this intently or if this was just his style or his personality, but he would, when he spoke, he would listen intently. You could see the look on his eyes constantly in, in, you know, taking notes, being very judicious about that. And when he, when he went to speak, he would lean over and he would speak somewhat softly. So he made sure that you were also listening and intently to him. So it became a, a two-way conversation and you felt right. important. Right. So listen intently, feel important, be, be present in that conversation. Don't try to be the smartest person in the room. You know, when, when you're selling helicopters or your high tech world, everybody knows, you, you know, you're, you're already, you're already smart, right? Everybody, everybody around you is also pretty smart. Very smart. Yeah. Just listen. And sometimes, you know, well, silence can be very powerful as well, but, but, but listening and, and soaking it in, whether, and if, we, if you're in an integrated team, that's part of this process. Cause many times it wasn't just you, the helicopter salesman, you had different engineers and different uh, designers with you. And then they had a team of, F, you know, so you want to make sure that you also solicited the opinions and went through it. And when you're, if you're the decision maker, then you listen and weigh and then make that decision. And then you, then you have a cohesive team, not just as a sales team, but as a, a whole ecosystem, the buyer and the seller. And I think that's, once you get to that, you get a very, you can get very elegant solutions in, in the process. Cause you know, the helicopters aren't cheap. No. You know, when you're doing a deal, it's a, it's a half a billion dollar deal or it's a hundred million dollar deal. And you want to make sure that you get it right. The, the engagement's a long time. It's not just that sales process and you go away. It's a 20 year relationship with the life cycle of those aircraft and the, and the people who sell them to you or buy them or the services you provide. So having that reputation of being a good listener, being a good customer relations and being a good person and all in general is, is, is vital. No, I think it's, it's huge. And you made me think of Simon Sinek as we're sitting here. If you're listening oh, yeah. to Simon Sinek and some of his things, he always says, you know, let everyone else speak in the room first, listen intently, hear what everyone says and speak last. Yes. And yeah. so that, I think what you share just made that pop in my mind as you're going through that, which is huge. And then, so going through your transition, now it, it's starting to come together to become an executive. The skill sets you learned in sales helped you be a better leader and manager in corporate America. You have the skill set to be present and to be listening to the issues that are brought to you so you can make informed decisions. So was there one pivotal position or role you've had throughout your career which you think set you up to be a successful and where you are today? Is there one pivotal role or one pivotal moment you can recall? Yeah, actually I, I can. And it was before I was even an executive or even considering being an executive. Back when I started at Sikorsky it was pre-internet, pre-email. And I was, Sikorsky is based in Stratford, Connecticut. And I was not based in Stratford, Connecticut. There's 12,000 employees at the time. And I was a field employee away from the home office, away from all the executive leadership. And the only way I, I felt, I realized that if I'm going to get a voice that I have to write. So I have to write reports about what's happening, technical reports, and I have to make sure these are good, well-written reports. So I got the notice, I got noticed by this, by who was the senior person in, in the field service division. His name is, uh, is it okay if I say his name? Sure. His name is Tim Mahoney. 
and Tim had never met me and a job opening came up and he saw my work, all written work and wanted me to take this role. And it was in Japan as a technical representative, of the Japanese Navy. I was 27 years old, five years out of the Marine Corps. Japan really, you know, the Japanese culture really likes older gray haired people and sees them as wise, which is generally true. So putting a young man in this role was very difficult. And he had, he took a hard, he took some hard knocks, but insisted I do this. And yet he never met me. So then I started, you know, I got that role. I got to know this, know Tim very well. And I was, I was able to really follow him and, and cause I admired his work. I admired his communication skill. I admired his work ethic. I matter other thing he did. So I just, that was that point of meeting Tim and getting a real classic mentor who I wanted to be like was that pivotal role for me. So then I had somebody to, to, it was like the sergeant major or the, or the, or the lieutenant colonel, the colonel in, the, in your squadron, you know, something that, that like, I admire what this guy's doing. How do I do what he does? Right. And, and that was that pivotal moment when I started behaving differently and started thinking about, you know, how might, how was it to be present, how I was going to communicate, how I would be seen by the, the rest of them. So Tim helped me through my career and then guided me into, into sales. I had an opportunity to go into another work. You know, my role took off and then I emulated Tim. Tim became president of Honeywell Aerospace. Wow. So he did okay. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that pivotal role of going over to Japan and having a language barrier and having living in a, in a foreign country, working with a foreign military really gave me a lot of opportunities and skills and able to shine that I took with me through that whole process. And because you're by yourself you're you've got to think on your feet you've got to communicate well it's easy to make a mistake and you got to how to own up to the mistake i learned those kind of things with them and then that was it for me that was that that role in japan and then when i got to become an executive it was really with phi and taking the role of the chief commercial officer and starting to think about how you broaden the market and and what it would take to do it but it was all all really getting down to emulating or finding people that I admire, whether I knew them or not, reading books about them, reading biographies, reading history, and learning from those folks that and their skills and applying it into my world. So the moral or the lesson there that can be taken and shared, would you say, is it almost twofold where finding a mentor to emulate is huge, but at the same time, to find that mentor, your mindset must be like, I want to grow. I'm not satisfied where I am. I want to continue to learn. I I know some, but there's much I still don't know. And I want to know more and I want to learn more. So would you say it's the realization, your mindset first, that that's who you are? You want someone who wants to grow and wants to learn and wants to push themselves versus I got a job. I'm making okay money. I'm yeah. fine. And so yeah. what's the difference between mindset? Would you, please curiosity. I mean, I always wanted to be in aviation when I was a child. I joined the Marine Corps because I could get a guaranteed contract to be in aviation. And then as I got in aviation, I thought I wanted to be this or a mechanic. I want to be a pilot. That was my goal. And then I realized I really wanted to learn this whole process of how it happens. How do you design an air? What causes you to design a new aircraft? How do you build it? How do you sell it? What's the process of supporting it? So all those things kind of led me down that role as I learned. It's like, I had no idea. I just assumed 
the aircraft showed up, right? You're in the Marine Corps, there's, there's right. a bunch of helicopters in your squadron, and you don't know that there's a commercial process that's gone on to put them there and the For commercial years. process to logist- the logistics chain to do it. And then all of a sudden, it's like you get curious about, well, how does that happen? And how did how did the Marine Corps choose these aircraft, or how does an oil company choose which aircraft or service provider to? And that just kind of led all that process. But it was really about being in the moment and watching the folks that are above you in terms of the corporate hierarchy, what they're doing and asking questions, being inquisitive, being curious, and then learning from their example. I think that that's a phenomenal point. And we're taking very, like what you do today is very complicated, but the very big company with lots of moving parts, lots of divisions, but you break it down to simple traits, tactics, right? Absolutely. Being curious, being present, right? Yeah. You know, and so we're having this, my company is a company of two, right? But the same things you're chatting about, and hopefully every listener is, as they're listening to this, is thinking about their own company and their own endeavors and where they are. And do they have a mentor or do they have someone or are they so stuck in the weeds running the business where you can't get out and have that mentor to help you work on the business to take it where you want to go? So I'm just going to shift gears and ask a totally different question on left field. How did you balance all that growth and learning and being present and being the yes man, so to speak? Or I have to say yes person today. I'm, I'm going to call you a man. Yes, man. Okay. And and have seven kids and have that yeah. balance. And how does that work? It's hard. I mean, so my work-life balance, I think, is very good. I ha- I've had to make some difficult. I had I have seven children. It's it's three on my side and four on hers. Okay. I lost Brady my, bunch. First, I lost Brady my bunch. first wife to breast cancer in 2009. That was the impetus for a, a career change. And I had to make some very difficult career decisions then as I was a single father. And in many cases, I took I took a new role that was much lower compensation, but would guarantee me time with my family, be able to raise my children. And I always felt and I've, I've advised I, I mentor people now, especially, you know, 20s and 30s and, and even into your early 40s. Those are different phasing periods, right? 20, you're kind of figuring out 30. You're starting to sort out where you can be and start getting into a position in 40s in your fifties are your earnings. Right. And then when you're in your late, in your mid fifties and now you're mentoring. So I figured I could always make a little bit of money in career, but I couldn't be a dad twice. You only get one shot at that. So I took that, that role very seriously. And I, I unfortunately had a CEO and a chairman of a company that understood that put, put me in a role that I was able to take care of the family things. And then planning your calendar and being, you know, planning your year and knowing you got birthdays, you got sporting events, you've got important anniversaries, you've got all the things that occur in, in a family and planning around that. And I was fortunately in, 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 I've been in very entrepreneurial positions. So I was able to kind of drive my schedule to make sure that I was available for all that. I mean, I coached soccer, I coached volleyball, I did all those things. And I also wasn't afraid to ask for help. help. So I asked, I made sure that I, you know, somebody would pick the kids up from school and be there to get them through some of the homework processes. And then, then I come home for, for the, you know, the dinner time frame. And then you had to give up some of the things that, that you may want to do as a, as a young person, you know, you, 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 may, you might not have been able to travel as much. You might not be able to, to do the things that entertainment wise you did. So you had to give a little bit of that up in lieu of taking care of the, of all the children. And then that, change that goes that goes you know and it might be difficult at time but it happens pretty quickly 
And the next thing you know, your kids are in their 20s and 30s and they're having children and you have an empty nest and you can, you're free to do what you really want to do. You're free to live where you want to live and just getting through that. And, and it was, it was, it was hard, but manageable if you plan and if you put the discipline that's necessary and, and figure out how, maybe how to do two things at once, like say you like to exercise, you want to go for a run. Well, pop the kids in a stroller and take them with you or put them on a bike and take them with you. Okay, you're not going to do your six-minute mile. Maybe it's do an eight-minute mile, but you're still out there getting your exercise in. That's the kind of stuff that that I did and just tried yeah. to, I don't know if it's multitasking, if you will. It's just it's just an engagement. It's so engagement. Really, really difficult to do. And a Especially choice. as a single dad who did a widow. Or, I mean, that was really hard. My condolences to you there. And, and it sounds like you've gotten through that. I mean, obviously, that hole will always be there. Yeah. Right. But you you made a commitment to your kids and and your career. And it looks like you've done both very well. Thank you. You know, not sure. So with that, I think you know, I look at myself because every every time I have a guest and I hear the wisdom, I you do a self check on where you are and see. And I've gone through that. And and, and before my son, my son's five. And so he's in kindergarten now. But and before he was in kindergarten, custody arrangement I have, I'm not with his mom. It was every other weekend I had to fight to get this uh, Friday noon till Monday seven, and so I took every other Monday off, and we yeah. would go to the park, and it's him and I, and he and I would be there, and it was all the other kids and the nannies. It was the, all the nannies, mm-hmm. and there's the business side of me wonders, hey, where would I be financially, or where my business be if I chose not to do that. And I just put my nose a grindstone and had a nanny or had someone else that spent that time with my kid for a brief second that jumps in my mind. And I'm like, I would never trade my memories on the park or at the park with him coming down the slide and helping do the, the rope thing across where he falls off and, and, and hurts himself. But you pick him back up. I wouldn't trade those memories for anything. Those those memories are worth more to me than any deal ever with any company, period. I agree completely. I agree completely. And I didn't, I didn't even look at it as, as like giving up something to me. It was just in many cases in my situation, it was almost a gift because I got to have a different relationship with my daughters than most fathers get to have because of the situation we were in. And then, you know, I, was, I found a new partner and we got, we got married about five or six years later, brought more into the family and their brothers and sisters is almost as close. The, the blood ones are probably not as close as the step ones. Okay. And uh, they're dispersed now across the United States, all doing really well. We have five grandchildren. I mean, it's not been easy. We've had some rough roads with each of them and, but it's been very rewarding. I was just glad I was there for, I, I didn't miss much. If, if, if anything, my children knew I traveled a lot, right. especially before I was, I was a single dad. They always thought I was a spy because <laughs> You know, they're in, they're in school and they're telling their, their kids, oh, yeah, my dad's in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia. He's selling helicopters. Oh, your dad's a spy. He's like, no, he's just a helicopter salesman. Just just your average typical helicopter yeah, salesman. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, well, so circling. Please, you know, it's just please. It's really nice. Good. Good. Well, it sounds like you've done done well with it. So going back to where you are now, your current role, what would you say, and you can or can't say, what challenge are you being faced with now? What skill set, even after... 30 plus years, what are you learning today about yourself and business and leadership that you think, well, I was expecting that, or, well, this is a new challenge. Like, where where are you today? Well, so today, um, Bristow, we've been a company for 70 years operating helicopters, mostly some air aviation around the world. 
and we're in an energy transition. And mm. most notably, so we, most of our revenue is generated by flying people offshore, oil and gas, about 70% of that. 30% of it is through government services. So we're the search and rescue for, we're the Coast Guard of the United Kingdom. Okay. We're the search and rescue, a government search and rescue for the Netherlands and for the Dutch Caribbean. And we do some commercial search and rescue around the world. So we have to trans, we, we, we recognize that we're in an energy transition. So some of that business has been naturally going to start to attract. And there, we're also in a revolutionary point in aerospace with electrification of aircraft. So distributed electric propulsion systems. So I was tasked with transforming the company away from keeping the business that we have in oil and gas and transitioning us to the electrification process. So we call it advanced air mobility and to grow our government services business. So two distinct different, two very distinct communication skills, two very yeah. distinct markets. So with the advanced air mobility, back to keeping it simple. So if I told you that in 10 years, I want you to fly a thousand electric aircraft in some location in the world, right? Mind boggling. Take a pragmatic approach to it. Be What's the first step that we need to do? Uh, first step, we need to learn about distributed electric propulsion systems. I know how a rotor works. I know how a turbine engine works. I don't know how, I don't know battery cell chemistry. I don't understand engine electric motors very well and really advanced flight control laws that, that are be necessary. So learn that and then <clears throat> become an evangelist about the whole process and get everybody excited that needs to be excited within the team. There's a lot of naysayers. Oh, we'll never, you know, we'll never fly across the Atlantic in electric aircraft. Well, yeah, maybe so. Tell, tell it to Lindbergh. But we, we can fly from, from downtown Houston to the airport. And and back to back to the, the days of the Wright brothers and and the first revolutionary space. Nobody knew in 1903 that we were going to have a 747 in 60 years, or go to the moon in 69 years. Yeah. So yeah, we got to start. So you got to get people excited about it. And by doing that, I had to really change my communication skills and the way I would be present and get out there more. I've I've spoke more this year at conferences and at industry events than I have in my entire career. Because generally we're the people in the back. We're the right. quiet company. We have very large com customers and we just do our thing and we sit back and, and do our thing. And But now I've got to get out there. So I've got I've had to change how present I am, uh, to change my communication skills, how I verbalize, how I present myself. Because the people that are in my current business are of a certain category of culture and the people that we're talking about for advanced mobility. I mean, this is the, this is the internet culture. This is the, the, the new comm culture. This is the millennials. So I, I got, had to learn a new way to, 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 to speak and, and to get, get my points across. So that was a challenge. And then on the other side of the corner, you're doing government service. So you're really talking about us military, foreign military, government agencies, which is a whole nother level of communication and dynamic well, different style, completely different you gotta, style. you gotta be able to shift those styles across it. So that, that's been my biggest challenge. And then taking people from point one to point two and, and keeping them away from point 500 where we need to get to be the Jetsons. Cause that's where we're headed. Right. We're going to get there 2050. We get, let's do point one, two and three and not worry about how we're going to be the Uber eyes air taxis. Let's do this in a pragmatic approach and apply the lessons that we've learned in the last 70 years. So 
my message, and, and, and maybe this rings true with a lot of things, is Please. we're taking a revolutionary event, whether that's in aviation or whether that's, you know, in communication or whether that's in crypto coin, it's revolutionary. We've got to apply 11, 11 evolutionary laws to it for it to be successful because that, that, that will sustain it and that will get us through it. And that's, that's the challenge of getting people aligned on the intersection of evolution and revolution. Well, is it then? Well, what are you really chatting about? It's having the vision. A vision, right? A purpose. And once you have that vision, that purpose, then how you disseminate that where everyone in your organization also knows and feels that. So as you're chatting with me, two items pop to my mind, and then we'll wrap it up here in a few. I, I do remember, I don't remember where I read it. It's just things pop on my mind from years gone by. I think that when the the first train started, I think in, in England, and they were worried about it going over 10 miles an hour because they thought if you go over 10 miles an hour, it'll suck their air out of your lungs and right. you'll die, yeah. right? That's just the fear of technology, the fear of the unknown. And well, I think they still have in Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania Dutch country, which is near Delaware, but like the, whoever yeah. made the last horse and buggy whip, right? Oh, yeah. we're, horse is going to be here forever. And no, guess what? Technology moves on. We lose all these jobs. People get new skills. That's right. So being being comfortable in an environment of change and accepting change, once you have the vision where you want to go, like I saw Elon Musk, and I can talk politics, but Elon Musk, he has wearing a shirt the other day, said Occupy Mars. Yeah. That's where he wants to go. And everyone at SpaceX knows that, right? That vision is there. So how important is it for you to see where the where the vision, where the future is going for Bristow Group, be able to disseminate that to your team or your team's on board? It's been my primary objective throughout this year. And fortunately, at the leadership group here at Bristow, when, when, we, when we merged two companies and we got together as a leadership team and laid out our vision and our purposes and our, and our mission, our vision is to be innovators in sustainable vertical flight solutions. And that means all kinds of different things. It doesn't mean helicopters, right? So it means all, all, other, all other different aspects of vertical lift and capability. So with that as a vision, I'm able to equate that and, and, and explain the why we want to do this, where we can go to and how we can get there. And it, once you do that and you get people engaged, it's, 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 been, it's been absolutely rewarding for me to see the level of engagement, the level of interest that's, that's occurring in, in this space. It's rejuvenating, especially coming from a very old system. An old model, yeah. Helicopters, helicopters haven't fundamentally changed since Mr. Sikorsky flew it, his first controlled helicopter in 1939, right? Haven't changed too much. I mean, technologies have improved, the reliability's improved, the safety's improved, but it's still pretty the same, pretty much the same thing. And when we fly people from point A to point B offshore, that's we've been doing that since the 40s. And to have this opportunity to really expand access to vertical lift is very right. exciting. Helicopters are expensive. These aircraft in the future may not be as expensive, probably cost less to operate, and therefore will be wider use to the general public, especially as we as we increase the the, the supply of these vehicles. It's just exciting. And that that in, and back to like leadership traits, enthusiasm, being enthusiastic, having a vision, being decisive, and having the enthusiastic way to communicate that is it's important and you can you can relate that to starting a new business or transforming a business or 
trying a, trying a new a new pitch on your boss. Yeah. Or at a job interview, right? Well, if you if you show that decisive, you gotta have it. The energy's energy is energy. You're, it's everything. You're, you'll elevate yourself. Yeah, and there's I mean, a line though between energy and passion because then it can, especially if you're over enthusiastic. I think I saw a meme today come around from uh, one of my friends, Marine Corps. He's like, oh, there's like a guy with a trumpet. Like it's Marine Corps birthday. And then the meme, like what, the other yeah. person, like hide it, covering their ears, like everybody else. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. love their birthday, but November 10th. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. It's coming up. I find I'm more nostalgic over the, after the many years now than I had been when I was first out. I'm probably sure a lot of other Marine veterans feel the same way. Well, well, with that, actually what we're doing next week, and I know this, this podcast won't be live until then, but as I'm out having conversations with veterans all day, every day, three to five a day, I'm hearing more and more guys and gals like myself. I've been out 20 years mm-hmm. and you kind of lose touch. And a lot of us that came out pre Facebook didn't have a way to keep in touch. Maybe kept a few numbers, but it's rewarding and refreshing to see and hear guys and gals say, hey, this is great. You're, you're rebuilding a sense of community. So the yeah. podcast and having, we have a Slack. We're going to invite you to, if you like a okay. Slack room and, and all these members in it. and Colonel Patty Gull, he's got 30 year golf. He's got 30 years as a Huey guy or a Cobra guy, excuse me. He's on the podcast before, but having that sense of community and belonging again is refreshing for a, a lot of veterans out there. We can get together and, and make fun it of each is. other a little bit. So love, love you to join that one. And I just realized I didn't give you one tough question. So we've engaged in conversations, but I got one more kind of tough question before we wrap it up. You haven't given me a failure yet. Oh, give me throughout your career. There was, was there one pivotal failure where like, Dave, you're talking to yourself like, I, I just can't do this. I'm not going to, I give up. I'm done. Did you ever have that? Or did you have like one pivotal moment? Where you're at your lowest, it's not going to work out. It could be even after losing your wife, I, I would say. It could be yeah. there, feeling alone. I mean, uh, you know, I, I've always kind of been a big fan of Winston Churchill. Failures are just opportunities to improve. I've had lots of failures, you know, in, whether it's a deal or a contract, whether it was an a- acquisition that was missed, and you'd like back about how you could have managed it better. Or whether it was you, you missed a sales opportunity because you weren't listening. All, all those things really happen. But it, I've had one that really knocked my knocked me on my teeth or knocked me on my knocked me on my back. Nice. I guess is the is was certainly with the loss of my wife and what what do you do afterwards? You know, you feel like you're in a, you're in a really dark place, and you recognize that one at that point I was at a point of responsibility. I always felt like people depended on me to, for their jobs. In many cases, I got a kick out of creating jobs by whether it was producing helicopter or flying people all around and then my family. So yeah, that, that was, whether that was a failure or just a situation in my life where I had to say, listen, you just, just got to pull your, pull it back up and do your best. Look forward, learn from the mistakes, try not to, try not to do it again or listen more intently or don't take assumptions, use data. And in, in many cases, I've done that where I thought I had a deal done. There's no way they're going to go with anybody else. They can't support that contract and you lose it. And in some cases, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars in people's jobs, but you dust yourself off and you you think about it. Okay, I, I did my, maybe I did my best. Maybe. The ones that hurt were ones you feel like you didn't do your best. And you could have done more. Could have done, I could have done after something the fact, here. Right? Maybe I should have done that. 
and it usually gets down to data and listening versus decision making because you're making that decision off of the you know instead of making taking an assumption and in some cases i've had where the decision was delayed because everybody wanted more colin powell is another one of my idols 3570 says if you have 30 you, you need 35 percent of the information to make a decision but if you have more than 70 you waited too long i've so, heard that one before that's a good one yeah that's, i think that, that was in there. his biography or his autobiography and I, okay. that really hit hit home no, that's so good. that and then really, I think other things are lessons learned, not necessarily a failure, but really being able to cross different cultural barriers, you know, living in a foreign country. And, and we have companies in Africa, Middle East, Asia, Australia, Europe, South America, Central America, Caribbean. So we get this multicultural thing and how you work through there and taking your assumptions as an American business to those locations, you will fail and recognizing that. And there's been cases where I've done, done that. And then that's that's where you learn. That's an early loss and early failure. And then you learn, it's like, I can't, I can't be the ugly American or I can't be the British revolution, British colonials. You've got to adapt to that. that, Uh, that. I think that's, I think you're spot on there. You made me think of another quote. I think I heard one day and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Where someone said, hey, don't make fun of that person with broken English because they know two languages. That's right. Absolutely. Like, right. How many do you know? Right. Like, yeah. oh, you want to make fun of whatever person that yeah is an immigrant and they're working and trying and guess. Yeah, maybe their English isn't perfect, but they do know at least two languages and most Americans don't. Right. So that's something to, to be under appreciative of and understand what they've gone through to do that. So you you just made me think of that. So I think this has been phenomenal. I appreciate you sharing. I'll ask you, is there any one last nugget or tip of advice that you think you'd love to throw out there for other veteran entrepreneurs like us? Back to the, the message about being present, being courageous, taking opportunities that come to you and doing the, the best at what, whatever you happen to be doing that day. You know, doing your best doesn't mean you have to be the best at everything. It just means you got to be your best person that day and taking that and applying it to your business or to your safety. And if you're a leader, be present in your group. Make sure that you set an example. Make sure that you engage thoughtfully and intently with the people that you lead. And they'll continue to provide you whatever is necessary to, to be successful. Oh, this is great. I appreciate you sharing. So I think the takeaways are be present. I mean, listen, actively listen. Be curious. Have a mentor to help provide that vision. And once you have that vision, be able to communicate that to your team. Yep. So everyone's on board and everyone executes. And whether you have a mentor in person or you find somebody that you want to learn about or read about that you happen to admire, whether that's Warren Buffett or Colin Powell or whoever it happens to be, just find that person that you admire and that you'd like to emulate. Awesome, Dave. This is this is great. Is there, I don't know, I'll, I'll ask, is it okay for anyone if they want to reach out to you? Should they reach out to you on yeah, LinkedIn? Absolutely. Is that, why don't you throw your contact information out there for anyone who wants it? It's Dave, D-A-V-E dot Stepanek, S-T-E-P-A-N-E-K at bristogroup.com and you're also on linkedin so dave Stepanek at yeah, bristow group on linkedin yeah. so you can find me there too and i'm brett henderson Stepanek's out there yeah what's that i don't think there's too many of us out there so. no no it's, it's a good name it's yeah. a good name i'm from pennsylvania so i actually I have another buddy check who lives in hermosa beach with me who's from delaware too so we'll maybe talk about that offline well, cool. i thought i was the only one that left me and there's Joe a Biden. couple there's a, actually <laughs> my other neighbor 
is a blue jay or blue hen. You guys are blue, hen, blue yeah, hens. Blue Delaware, hen, yeah. Delaware blue hens uh, right yeah. across the street. Went to Delaware too. Uh, so we can talk about that. But I would say my only ask for you, if you have other executives that are also veterans that you would think would like to share and partake, please send them over so Will I can, can chat with them. If anyone reaches, wants to reach me, Brett, Strategic Wealth Endeavor, Wealth Management, Business Consulting for the Veteran Entrepreneur. Our website's SWE90.com. That's short for Strategic Wealth Endeavor or Sierra Whiskey Echo. 90.com and uh looking forward to the next one so david thanks so much it's been great please subscribe and share with friends and colleagues thanks for being with us thank you for listening to the veteran entrepreneur masterclass podcast don't forget to click the follow button to become notified when new episodes become available securities offered through ifp securities llc DBA Independent Financial Partners, IFP, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice offered through IFP Investors, LLC, DBA Independent Financial Partners, IFP, a registered investment advisor. IFP and Strategic Wealth Endeavor, INC are not affiliated. The views expressed are that of the host and are for informational purposes only and in no event should be construed as an offer to buy or sell securities. Opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs of individual investors. Neither IFP Investors LLC, IFP Securities LLC, DBA Independent Financial Partners, IFP, nor their affiliates offer tax or legal advice. Interested parties are strongly encouraged to seek advice from qualified tax and or legal experts regarding the best options for your particular circumstances. The information given herein is taken from sources that IFP Advisors LLC, DBA Independent Financial Partners.